Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your precious word, Lord, that has uh, given us so much, Lord, on which we depend. And we pray as, you, as we open your word now, you will open it to us. Give us understanding by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now um, the subject. There we are. That's what I'm going to speak on this morning. I just wondered um, what you understood by the word grace. Now, used in common parlance, out on the street there, it might be used if somebody who uh, dances with grace, or of a tennis player, you know, that's a real shot with grace, or somebody who's just kind, full of grace, or the opposite, graceless, well, what would that be? That'd be rude, uh, uncouth, maybe even clumsy. But I suspect you know that uh, in the scriptures, uh, taking the New Testament here first, the, the word grace is actually the Greek charis. Do you ever meet someone called charis? My, my daughter-in-law is called charis. That's what the name means. Um, it means grace. And in, in the scriptures, it refers to unmerited favor or blessing. Favor or blessing from God that you cannot earn. And I want to look at this this morning and also look at... Uh, an opposite to it. Um, you don't deserve grace, you can't earn it, but from the Lord it is abundant. Related to that word charis, by the way, is the word charismata. You, you'll have heard the word charismatic, sometimes used of somebody who's you know, very energetic, etc. Spiritually, charismata in the uh, New Testament are spiritual gifts. So you'll find those listed, for instance, Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and there are gifts of grace, literally. Right. Again, somebody with a spiritual gift, whatever gifts are, whatever gifts you may have, they are just that, they're gifts. Now, um, Paul, of course, uh, uses the word grace a lot. And I'm not surprised. Uh, don't forget, I mean, Paul did persecute the church. Uh, he was much feared as Saul of Tarsus. And in fact, um, when he uses the phrase that he was the chief of sinners, that wasn't some sort of false humility on Paul's part. That's, that's really what he felt. And therefore, he felt when he was apprehended by the Lord on the road to Damascus and his life was turned around, that grace was right there in it. Unmerited favor. He didn't deserve it. Um, I had to look through all Paul's epistles, even Philemon, the little one at the end. Every single one in the introduction, you find a grace greeting. Every one. Not only that, every single one you actually find in its conclusion, or farewell, a grace statement as well. Now, we often sort of, you know, grace of the Lord be with you, we just gloss over it. But the reason Paul did that, it was absolutely essential to him. Let's just have a look at two examples. There's his opening of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Grace to you, he says, and peace, because grace brings peace with God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at the conclusion to 2 Corinthians here. Um, and you'll know this. Let's say the blessing we say. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship or communion, it says in the NKJV, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen, we say. By the way, you, you read that. We've said it hundreds of times. We've prayed it hundreds of times, many of us. Just look at the order, by the way, of three words there. Grace, love, and fellowship. Now, I spoke on the love of God last week, agape. Okay, there it is, again, the love of God. 
But notice that grace comes before it. How do you get to the love of God? By grace, by unmerited favor because of what the Lord has done to you, for you. It's grace that opens up to the love of God. And by the way, the love of God precedes fellowship. Fellowship is the word koinonia in the Greek, or communion. And it means to share God's blessings together and to talk about God's blessings together, to be in union about God's blessings. But that's not going to work unless you've got the love of God in your life. Just notice the order. Grace opens the way to the love of God, opens the way to fellowship amongst us. Um, Paul actually, in Acts 20, uh, called the gospel the gospel of the grace of God. That's what he said. By the way, Peter, lovely Peter, uh, denied the Lord three times, was reinstated. He knew what grace was, and he fulfilled his mission big time. And if you read the beginning and end of his epistles, guess what? There is grace there all over again. Does anybody want to guess what the last verse in the Bible is? Revelation 22, 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's why. Because it's so crucial. Now, let me just tell you a little anecdote. Because we tend to think grace begins when we are converted. Um, I just think God often orders our lives. For me, uh, I won't go into full details on this, but when I was converted uh, just after I'd left school, the, the guys from the former Christian Union there wouldn't believe it. They thought it was a hoax. Uh, I'll tell you something what I was like. Okay, they just thought oh, I was playing games. It was a hoax. Um, but I was converted. Uh, but just before I was converted, I'd stayed on an extra term at school, at my grammar school, to take the entrance exam for Cambridge. I don't know how I'd done. I thought one of the questions I messed up. But then, that, that's not it. You have to also pass the interviews. Now, there is a reason for this. I'm talking about grace can extend before you're converted. God, God is working. Now, um, I had to catch the train from York to Cambridge, change at Peterborough, um, for this interv two interviews. And the, the, the one that was the Mr. Nice, Mr. Nasty routine would be the departmental interview. Really tough, grilling. Anyway... My train was at 8 o'clock, okay, from York. And um, we lived three miles from the station. My father was an incredibly punctual man, very punctual. He always got there well before he needed to be somewhere. I was not. In fact, I had this uh, uh, tendency to work out what was the shortest time, the latest I could leave to get somewhere, always assuming absolutely nothing went wrong. So three miles from York, York is a city of about 100,000. I thought, ah, 20, 25 minutes will do it. Dad would give me a lift to the station. So I got up, leapt in, 20, 25 minutes. As we're driving, I became a bit nervous because I realized it was a rush hour. And my dad said to me, if you miss this train, don't think I'm driving you down to Cambridge because I'm not, it's your fault. <laughs> and it would have been. And actually, he wouldn't have got me there on time. Anyway, I kid you not, as we came round the edge of the York City walls on the inner city ring road, there was just a jam of about half a mile of traffic. I looked at the watch. It must have been about gone 10 to 8 by that time. I remember the train leaves at 8. What did I do? I said, bye, Dad. Jumped out the car and sprinted about 600 metres to the station. It's reasonably fit, thank God. 
came to the station, oh no, there's a queue at the ticket office. <laughs> hurry up, hurry up. Got my ticket. York's a big station. I know you've been there. It's a beautiful station. It's got a big bridge. And I could hear the train was coming in as I was getting my ticket. But it was the other side of the bridge. Yeah? As I came onto the station proper, uh, the guard was blowing the whistle. I had to get over the, the bridge. No one's ever got over a bridge faster than me on that day. I kid you not, cut a long story short, because it was those days before automatic locking doors, the train was moving when I got on it. I think I got shouted at. Um, I actually got into Cambridge, much to my surprise, uh, was very involved in a local church, saw a real bit of a revival in the college I was in, was involved in that, went out to uh, Zambia in my vacations, worked with missionaries. I was converted about a month after I almost missed that train. And, um, of course, the degree I got enabled me to go into teaching and preach the gospel, explain it, I taught RS, for instance, and ultimately as a head, to hundreds of children. Did I deserve to go? Did I deserve to catch that train? You know, one more person in the queue, one more car in the traffic. Literally, it was moving as I got on it. The grace of God. I thought back, do you know, the Lord's grace was on me. Uh, and uh, thank you for that, Lord. Now, there are two alternatives to accessing the love of God. One is grace, but there's another one given in the Bible. I'll give you a clue. Only one person has ever achieved it. And that is to get to the Lord and to have access to the Lord by um, living perfectly, by obeying all the law of God, by not breaking it once. And you know who, when he came down to earth as a man, achieved that. Now the law, when we use the phrase the law, it is the Mosaic law. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and in particular the latter four, Exodus, Leviticus, which means relating to the Levites, so that's a lot of laws about how priests in those days operated, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means a repetition of the law, and it was just before they went, after all that wanderings in the wilderness, before they went into the promised land, Moses repeated the law to them. And in Deuteronomy uh, 28, it says the following at the beginning, now it shall come to pass if you diligently, this is the Lord speaking, obey the voice of the Lord, sorry, Moses is saying, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. So speaking on behalf of the Lord here, and all these blessings shall come upon you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, if you read Deuteronomy 28, the first bit, there's a short section on blessings, but then there's a long bit that follows and says, but if you don't obey, or if you break any of these laws, there is a long list of curses, and they're quite terrifying. And that was the law. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. Um, we tend to think, don't we, the Ten Commandments. Um, I believe they're all repeated in the New Testament in one form or other, except for the Sabbath. I don't see that repeated in the New Testament. Don't get me wrong, I think a, a day's rest and a day where people can... Uh, except for your midwives and emergency services who have to work and meet together and praise the Lord, that is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. There are many more laws than the Ten Commandments, of course. Uh, it's been counted, I believe, 613 laws in the Old Testament. The law of the Lord is perfect, the psalmist said, Psalm 19. So, uh, referring to the law, 
uh, Jesus was often tested by Pharisees. They tried to catch him out. And uh, a Pharisee decided to test Jesus on one of these days. And uh, he said to Jesus, so, you know, what's the greatest commandments? And this is what Jesus answered, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. So this is part of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Hands up, please don't put your hand up. Hands up, anybody who's achieved that right through their life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Have you had a single thought today that's been dishonouring to God? Well, I have. I bet most of you have. If not today, I bet this week. Of course. Oh, the second is like it, says Jesus. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. And by the way, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he basically made it clear that the neighbour is whoever you meet, not necessarily your friends. I don't know if you get on with your neighbours or not, but there you go. And then Jesus added, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And he was taking those from the law, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. So, have we obeyed those key commandments upon which the whole law hangs? No, absolutely not. Have we broken God's law? Yeah. I mean, have any of you ever lied? Uh, Jesus uh, um, to, to some who felt self-righteous. He made it clear, for instance, he might say, well, I, I've not committed adultery. Yeah, but have you ever lusted after another woman or another man? Jesus said, oh, it's the same thing. Well, I should think that will wipe most of us out. We all fall at the first hurdle, don't we? Have we ever coveted? Ever thought, oh, I wish I had what they had? Well, I have. That you have. We, we, we've all blown it. We, we all have. Um, I, I obviously, during my teaching career, marked a lot of exam papers. And um, often in exams, the pass mark was 50%. Could vary. For some, you know, could be 50%. If I was marking a paper and taught the marks up and I got to 48 or 49, I would actually go back through the paper to try and find another mark somewhere. You know, just to try and get this uh, boy or girl up to 50. So what is the pass mark on God's righteousness? If you ask people out in the street, um, do you think it's a heaven? Uh, they'll, they'll often say, well, yeah, I think, think you know, I, I, I've got some friends, relatives who died. I'd like to believe they're all looking down on us. And if you say to her, well, who goes to heaven then? Do, do they, why, why did they all go to heaven? Well, they were good people. Okay. So who doesn't go to heaven? Well, so if you say to them, well, did, did Hitler and Stalin go to heaven? Oh, oh, no, they'll say. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. So how bad is bad and how good is good? And then they begin to think about it. But if you think about it, what's God's pass mark? For access to the perfection of heaven, it's 100%. And we have a problem. Because by the law, we know none of us have achieved it. There's good news to come, by the way. Um, you might think, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. I, I reckon I've done these, uh, going through the Ten Commandments. I reckon I've got most of those. Look what James said. Whoever shall keep the whole law... And yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. Oh my goodness. 99% is not good enough. Romans 3.20, Paul, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is knowledge of sin. So what is the purpose of the law? Well, the clue there is there in Romans 3 there. The clue is that 
it brings us knowledge of sin. It brings us the fact that the Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness of judgment, that we deserve to be punished, uh, and that we can't do it. Let me read Galatians 3, a couple of verses to you, from verses 10, 13, and 14, and try to listen carefully. Um, and this is um, because no one has ever kept the law except Jesus. For as many as are of the works of the law, in other words, try to keep the law as a means of access to God, are under the curse. For it's written, this is Paul, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I'll come on more of this later. But then he adds, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He's saying that on the cross, he took our sins, he took the cursing that should have come to us, so we, by believing in him, can enter into blessing and get in on his 100% righteousness. Ah. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, he quotes. That's a quote from the Old Testament referring to Jesus on a cross. He was cursed in our place. Why? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Maybe one or two Jews here, but most of us are Gentiles. In Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through our good works. No, no, no. Through faith. Grace will operate through faith. So there's only one way out of the fact that one way of the access to God to keep the law perfectly, none of us have done, none of us can do. And only one person has ever done. He made the perfect sacrifice. So coming to this, let's have a look at this scripture here. Again, Paul to the Galatians. You understand this now? The scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Then notice how he explains this. But before faith came, grace working through faith, through believing on the Lord Jesus, we were kept under guard by the law, the Mosaic law, those 613. Kept for faith which would afterward be revealed. Now this is a lovely verse. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Now, in the Greek world of that time, the word tutor there referred to somebody employed by the wealthy families who could afford it to educate their children from infancy while they were very young. And once they get a bit older and the tutor had done the basic laying of the groundwork of education, that tutor would then escort them to school each day. And Paul says, that's what the law does. You can't do it by yourself. Let Jesus lead you. Let him tutor you. Let him teach you and let him take you deeper. What a wonderful verse that is. So there's hope. So we know that way doesn't work unless you're Jesus. He, of course, had perfect fellowship with the Father all the time he was on the earth. Of course, back in eternity, he'd had a perfect fellowship also. So how do we access the presence of the Lord. Well, go back to the beginning, all those greetings and farewells, by grace, by unmerited favour. Listen again to how Paul introduces the, the, uh, this topic to the Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 1. I'm picking up at verse 2. Just follow me through to you. Grace to you, he says, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who's blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You're in the beloved if you've believed on the Lord Jesus. You're in the love of God. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Can't get to the bottom of it. It's boundless, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul goes on. He's right through Ephesians. Let's have a look. Um, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? It's believing faith. You know, Jesus would often say to him, your faith has saved you, your faith has made you whole. Remember the centurion who wanted Jesus to heal his servant? And Jesus said, I'll come. And the centurion said, no, 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 I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Just say the word. And Jesus said, I've not seen such faith, not even in Israel. And there was a Gentile Roman. And of course, Jesus did say the word and the servant was healed. But his faith, he put his trust in Jesus. And that how grace came into his life. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. What is the gift of God's salvation through faith? Can't earn it. Lest anyone should boast. Right? Boasting it's irrelevant. You know, it's just not appropriate. It's just not the truth. In fact, what is the probably the biggest sin that can present you on a daily basis experiencing the wonderful grace of God well there's your clue same verse quoted by James and Peter God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble do you remember the Pharisee's prayer Lord I thank you I'm not like other men thinking to himself, I've done this, 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 I've kept that law, I've given that, I've done that, I've done that, done that. And we, we must never think like that. We never think, oh, do you know, I'm having a good day today. My thoughts have been pretty good. I've done this. Therefore, I am, Lord. No, no, you're coming in through Jesus all the time. You're deceiving yourself if you're thinking like that. It's not a tick box. Oh, I, I did my prayer time today. I read my Bible. Those are good things. But it doesn't mean you have any more right to come into the presence of the Lord. It means you build yourself up. You come into the presence of the Lord by grace. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mercy closely related to grace. So, you might think, well, okay, uh, grace, you've said about the New Testament, but what about the Old Testament? How were people saved in the Old Testament? If none of them, including Moses, you know when Moses murdered an Egyptian, we know that. David, what did David do? Man after God's own heart. He saw a lady bathing, Bathsheba. He thought, I'll have that woman. Slept with the woman. Then tried to get the soldier, the wife of Bathsheba, back. Get him drunk. Go and sleep with your wife. And he didn't. No, 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 I, I can't do that. Not while my fellow soldiers are fighting. I just wouldn't be right. So he wanted to try and cover it up. Make it look like the pregnancy that resulted was from the husband and not from him. What did he do eventually? <sighs> Sent a little message. 
just make sure, General, that you put Uriah where the fighting is at its fiercest. What happened? He was killed. David thought, oh, got away with it. And Maria, got away with it. And Nathan the prophet comes in and gives that parable about a man who had hundreds of sheep, but when he had someone to die and he took someone else's sheep and served that up, someone else's lamb. And David said, where is this man? I want to judge him. And Nathan said, you are that man. But that's David. Oh my goodness, did David go to heaven? Oh yes. Why did he go to heaven? Didn't obey the law, did he? Some of the times he did, but certainly didn't on that occasion and other occasions. Well, as one of the psalmists said, it's not just David, by the way, it's all of us. Psalm 130, verse 3, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, in other words, count them, imagine God keeping a tally sheet of your iniquities, including, by the way, your private thoughts today. Would I want to see my week's private iniquities on that screen for you to read? No, I, I, I wouldn't have to say. If the Lord should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? None of us. So David, read Psalm 51 sometime. By the way, it's the prayer he prayed. And it's a model prayer of confession when he committed sin with Bathsheba. That's what Psalm 51 is. Cleanse me, Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He's praying for grace. He's praying for mercy. Psalm 32, another Psalm of David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So, Jesus hadn't uh, died yet, the perfect sacrifice, but they had sacrifices, looking forward and mirroring the perfect sacrifice. By the way, that went right back to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, you read what the Lord did, the Lord himself? the first shedding of blood in the entire Bible, the Lord took an animal, killed it, and clothed them with skins. Why the first shedding of blood, an innocent sacrifice because of their sins? Always been the same. Innocent sacrifice, looking forward to the perfect innocent sacrifice, because you can't keep the law, you need the forgiveness of the innocent sacrifice. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And then he, he talks about, look, when I, when I kept silent, he said, when I didn't confess my sin, your hand was heavy upon me. I was like someone in drought, he said. Oh, things are going badly. You know, if you get out with the Lord, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins to the Lord, because he's faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just ask him, forgive my sins. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what was the result? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. They were saved in the same way. They were looking forward to this perfect sacrifice. But God accepted their faith, looking forward to that, the shadows of things to come and the sacrifices they had. We, of course, look back to the perfect sacrifice. And Paul actually quoted um, in Romans 4, this particular passage, that works cannot save. For instance, he says of Abraham. What of Abraham? Was Abraham a perfect man? You know, when he went to Egypt and Pharaoh thought, oh, he's, that, that lady's beautiful. His half-sister. Didn't know that. Um, did know that. That lady's beautiful. And of course, what happened? Abraham was scared. 
and forgot to say was his wife. And then he repeated the same thing again later on with another king. But what does Romans say? Romans 4, if Abraham was justified by works, and he was a great man in many ways, he has something to boast about. Of course, what he's saying there is he doesn't have anything to boast about because he wasn't justified by his works. Why? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Believed God in a number of things. For instance, when God said, go out and look at the stars of the sky, Abraham, can you count them? No. That's how many your descendants are going to be. And he's thinking, well, me and my wife are past the age of bearing children. No, no, that is how many your descendants are going to be. Abraham thought, no, he didn't. He believed God. He trusted. He had faith. And that faith opened the way to the grace of God. He trusted. The operation of grace. There is a word sometimes translated grace in the Old Testament, the Hebrew chen, as opposed to the Greek charis in the New Testament. I'll read you a couple of places where it's found. It was often uh, used of when someone found favor with somebody else. You know, found favor with your master, that's, you found grace, you found chen. But let me give you two particularly significant examples. Prior to the flood, it says, Genesis 6, Noah found grace, chen, in the eyes of the Lord. We know what the results of that was. He and his family were saved. Exodus 33, 17. This is, by the way, when Moses is heading from Sinai, right, towards the promised land. He's just about to leave and head that way. There's lots of troubles, lots of hostile nations he went ahead. He wants God's presence. And... Um, this is what he said, please go with, I want evidence of your presence, Lord. This is what the Lord said to him. I will also do this thing that you have spoken about my presence being with you. You have found grace in my sight. Now, there is a danger of always slipping back into the works of the law and mixing law and grace. And don't do that. It was a great danger in the uh, New Testament. Um, so, for instance, in Acts 15, you find Paul and Barnabas in a heated discussion with Jewish believers from Judea, and they believed in Jesus, these Jewish believers, who said, you've got to be circumcised if you're a Gentile according to the custom of Moses. And it said they had a big row about this. This then carried over and was taken to the leaders of all the church in the Jerusalem council. And what did Peter say in this bit of Acts 15? Now, therefore, he said to so these people saying, look, they've got to keep Mosaic law, starting with circumcision, that thing that... Uh, was first given to Abraham, that right, and then passed into the law of Moses, an essential part of the law for males. Peter said, why do you test God, he said to these people who said you've got to keep the law, by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Galatians had problems with that. Jewish believers went to them, again believers in Jesus, and said, no, you've got to be circumcised, you Gentiles. And some of them said, oh, maybe, okay, we'll get back into the law of Moses. And Paul, Paul said to them, oh, foolish Galatians, he said to him in Galatians 3, who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? No, of course not. And then he said this to them. I, Paul, say to you, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. You want to get back into the law, do you? Well, you're going the wrong way. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised. He's a debtor to keep the whole law. 
You've become estranged from Christ. You've attempted to be justified by law if you've fallen from grace. Notice that's where the phrase fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace, he says. If you want to do that, you want to get into the law, you've fallen from grace. That's where that phrase comes from. You've fallen from grace. Now, people will sometimes try to put laws on us as Christians, right? I've said about the, the uh, I believe it's good to have a day of rest. It's good to have a day where we can meet together. But some people take it further, say, no, 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 Sunday's the Sabbath, by the way, it never was. And you've got to, you mustn't do this, 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 and this. And I think, hang on a minute, you want to get in the Sabbath law? A man was stoned in Numbers 15, was killed for gathering sticks for fuel on the Sabbath. Okay, you, you haven't switched your central heating on, have you? You haven't put a bit of coal on the fire, have you? You really want to get into those laws, do you? No, 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 that's not the way. Uh, Paul says, don't let anyone judge you in terms of food and drink regarding a festival on new moon or Sabbath. Just going to finish with um, somebody who I thought was a massive recipient of grace and somebody who wasn't. In Luke 7, there is a story of Jesus being in Simon the Pharisee's house. Pharisees, very strict about the law. And Paul, of course, was a Pharisee. Pharisee of Pharisees. And he says, a woman... Of, of the city, who was a sinner. We know what she was, likely a prostitute. Comes into the Pharisee's house. What does she do? She gets an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stands at the feet of Jesus, weeping, washes his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of his head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. She wants grace. She wants forgiveness. She knows the life she's lived. lived. She thinks, he's the way for me. And how does she show it? Imagine somebody doing that. The Pharisees, oh, Simon's thinking, oh, if he knew what sort of woman this was, if he was really a prophet, Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. And he gives him a parable about he was forgiven much, loves much, and Simon hasn't. Because this woman, Jesus said to her, your sins, though they are many, are forgiven. She accessed grace. I often think, by the way, I wonder what happens to that woman. I reckon she had such a massive helping of grace that she went on to be a famous follower. I also wonder, well, not famous, obviously, so, so we've heard of her, but I reckon she was a loyal, loyal follower, hooked to loyalty to Jesus, just passionate about it. I also wonder, what happened to Simon the Pharisee? We don't know. Did he take the lesson from his lack of grace towards this woman? Let me finish there and say the grace of the Lord be with you. Amen.